All right, we're looking at uh, various Proverbs, uh, beginning with Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Let's give our attention to the Word of God. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. 9, 1 through 2, and then skipping to 5 through 6. Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Verse 5. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. 20 verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. 21.17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. 23, 19 through 21. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. 23, 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. And then finally, 31, 1 through 9. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The Bible says that all men are like grass and all of man's glory like the flower of the fields. And that uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would... Now be with us in a very particular way that your Holy Spirit would be here and that you would illuminate the words that we've just read, that your word will be what it has promised to be, which is living and active, and that, that your word will go out tonight and as it does, it will, it will go into our hearts and it will affect change. Father, we pray that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts 
will be pleasing to you. Would you be kind to us and speak to us tonight? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I think in the last, uh, sometime over the last couple of years, I've, I've read this before, uh, so uh, it might be familiar to you, but I think it is appropriate uh, tonight. Uh, this comes from uh, the, uh, my home state of Mississippi, from the Mississippi State Representative uh, on the floor of the legislature in 1952, from a guy named Noah Sweat Jr. Evidently, he went by the nickname Soggy. That's that's actually true. All right, so this is what he said on the floor of uh, uh, the uh, uh, Mississippi legislature. He said this. My friends, I had not intended to discuss this controversial subject at this particular time. However, I want you to know that I do not shun controversy. On the contrary, I will take a stand on any issue at any time, regardless of how fraught with controversy it might be. You have asked me how I feel about whiskey. All right. This is how I feel about whiskey. If, when you say whiskey, you mean the devil's brew, the poison scourge, the bloody monster that defiles innocence, dethrones reason, destroys the home, creates misery and poverty, yea, literally takes the bread from the mouths of little children... If you mean the evil drink that topples the Christian man and woman from the pinnacle of of righteous, gracious living into the bottomless pit of degradation and despair and shame and helplessness and hopelessness, then certainly I am against it. But if when you say whiskey, you mean the oil of conversation, the philosophic wine, the ale that is consumed when good fellows get together that puts a song in their hearts and laughter on their lips and the warm glow of contentment in their eyes. If you mean Christmas cheer, if you mean the stimulating drink that puts the spring, that puts the spring in the old gentleman's step on a frosty, crispy morning, if you mean the drink which enables a man to magnify his joy and his happiness and to forget, if only for a little while, life's great tragedies and heartaches and sorrows, if you mean that drink, the sale of which pours into our treasuries untold millions of dollars, which are used to provide tender care for our little crippled children, our blind, our deaf, our dumb, our pitiful aged and infirm, to build highways and hospitals and schools, then certainly I am for it. This is my stand. I will not retreat from it. I will not compromise. There you go. Um, That's an amazing speech, I think. Uh, And it's, I think, particularly appropriate and it's memorable because it so vividly highlights the discrepancy of how, of the differing opinions and beliefs about alcohol, right? Um, To say the least, the opinions and beliefs about alcohol can vary widely and wildly, right? Maybe even in this room, probably in this room, they're very different views of alcohol. Um, it's, it's a big deal. And it's a big deal, I think, uh, especially maybe on a college campus. And so uh, that's, we're going to, I think it would behoove us to have a little wisdom on it, right? And so what we're, uh, if you've been with us, you know that this uh, semester we're looking at, we're studying through Proverbs. 
And Proverbs is a, a book of wisdom, a book about wisdom, which is basically uh, the, skill, the skill of living well. Being able to live life and to do it well. And so tonight we're going to look and see what wisdom Proverbs can offer us about uh, the subject of alcohol. And so we're going to, uh, I want you to see uh, three things tonight. Uh, first, we're going to see that alcohol can be good. Secondly, we're going to see that alcohol can be tempting. And thirdly, we're going to see that alcohol can be destructive. So can be good, tempting, and destructive. All right, so first, alcohol can be good. Um, like we said, right, there are all kinds of opinions and beliefs about alcohol, and there are no doubt plenty of folks that uh, would maintain that alcohol in and of itself, the, just the consumption of alcohol inherently is wrong, that it's, that it's sinful, that it shouldn't be consumed at all. And I, I want you to see from the scripture that that's not, that's not a biblical position. That's actually not a fair take on it. Um, but rather, actually, that the right use of alcohol, whatever that might be, wine, strong drink, uh, beer, whatever, um, is actually a good gift from God. And it, as it is used rightly... Can be um, is something to be enjoyed and appreciated. And now, look. Let me. I want you to understand the distinction. This is a big distinction between um, the person that says, "Look, for me, for just for me, I've decided that I'm not going to consume alcohol for whatever reason." The a distinction between that position and the position that says. Um, that proclaims, declares that alcohol is inherently wrong for everyone and tries to uh, bind other people's conscience about alcohol. Does that make sense? Because it's certainly a fair position to say for yourself, for whatever reason, uh, if you have alcoholism in your family, um, you're afraid of your own potentially addictive personality, you know, any number of reasons. Maybe you've had a bad experience with alcohol in the past. Uh, and you say, you know what, I think just for me, I'm not going to mess with it. Don't do it. Perfectly fine. But we're looking at the uh, sort of the other position. Um, let's go ahead and look at, uh, where is it? Lost it. Three, uh, three, nine through ten. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In that, even here in the Proverbs, you see that um, wine, and, and actually an abundance of wine, is, is used as a picture of God's blessing. Certainly it wouldn't make sense for God to take something that's inherently wrong and use that as a picture of how he would bless someone. Uh, it can't be a bad thing inherently. Look at uh, 9, 1 through 2, and 5 through 6. All right, so this is uh, it's a picture of of wisdom personified, Lady Wisdom, and she has set a banquet for um, four people, and the Proverbs dis- depicts taking hold of wisdom, employing wisdom in your life is like sitting down at a great feast and having the the best of food and the best wine, drinking wine. 
it can't be something that's inherently wrong. It's a picture of being wise. Uh, We can look outside of Proverbs, and when you go outside of Proverbs, there's just an ocean of evidence that alcohol is not inherently wrong, but rather a good gift from God. Uh, We can look at just, we have time to look at a few examples. Psalm 104, 14 and 15 says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Right? The psalmist praises God for good gifts, uh, things like causing the grass to grow and bread and wine. And it even uh, highlights the, the effects of wine. Right? To gladden the heart. It's recognition that it really does affect our bodies. It affects, our, it affects us physically, emotionally. All throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, wine, and again, an abundance of wine, is regularly used as a picture of when the Messiah would come. Uh, let's see what we've got. Isaiah 25, 6 describes the days, again, when Jesus would come, when the Messiah would come. As a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Amos 9 talks about that in those days when he restores Israel by sending the Messiah. Uh, that it will, be, um, it will be as if the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. Right, Wine just pouring down out of the mountains. It can't be a bad thing. Uh, in the New Testament, right, in Jesus' life continues to bear out the truth that alcohol is a good gift from God. Um, Keeping in mind those Old Testament prophecies, what's Jesus' first miracle? The first thing he does is at a wedding, he turns water into wine. And he turns it into a bunch of wine, and it's really, really good wine. Um, Luke 7.34, Jesus clearly admits that he himself drinks alcohol. Jesus chooses wine to be the symbol of his blood that's going to be spilled on the cross. And in fact, uh, it's the sign that he, um, that he uh, prescribes for all of those that are going to follow him to partake of. So look, overall, the scriptures are abundantly clear, I think, that alcohol is not in and of itself inherently a bad thing. It's not something that, that necessarily should be avoided, but rather... As it's used rightly, it's a good gift from God. All right, so that begs the question of what does it mean to use alcohol rightly? And uh, so we're going to talk about this here. I didn't really know where to put it. It might feel a little awkward to just insert it here, but this was as good a place as any. Okay, so here we go. Um, And this doesn't come from Proverbs, but I think in, in any discussion about alcohol, I think we have to look at what the Bible says about it. Um, about what are the, essentially what are the parameters that the Bible does give us about alcohol consumption. Uh, And I think that there are three biblical concepts that we have to keep in mind uh, that uh, that govern our consumption of alcohol. All right, here they are. Um, First, all throughout Scripture, drunkenness is clearly prohibited. The Bible is against getting drunk. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, if you're a note taker. Romans 13.13. 13. Galatians 5.19-21. 5, 
this is, look, that's pretty straightforward, right? Not hard to figure out what it's saying. Drinking so much that you become drunk is out of bounds. Uh, secondly, uh, the Bible tells us that Christians are called to obey the government. Whatever government is in place, Christians are called to obey. As long as, as long as the government is not requiring you to sin, to violate God's law, then the Bible very explicitly says you should obey that authority because God has put them in place. You see that in Romans 13, 1 through 7. So in our country, in the United States of America, you have to be 21 to drink alcohol. And so I think it's uh, certainly, um, a, I think the conclusion has to be that drinking alcohol under the age of 21 is prohibited. Thirdly, the last one that uh, we would look at would be uh, what we could call the weaker brother. And now this one's a little bit, um, it's a little less straightforward. Uh, I think probably the best text that we would look at would be Romans 14, 13 through 21. And look, we don't have time to really dig into this too much. Um, but here's the basic idea, what Paul's saying in Romans 14. Um, He's actually addressing the issue of of, um, eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Okay, But we're going to go ahead and apply it, and I think very appropriately and rightly, to alcohol. So basically what Paul's saying um, is that he's recognizing that some Christians might think that drinking alcohol just at all, right, as we've been talking about, drinking it at all is wrong. Some people very well might think that, and right, some of you might think that. Um, even though in reality, it's, it's fine to consume alcohol. And Paul actually says that if you're, if you're drinking alcohol would grieve, and by that he means um, you know, really deeply disturb someone that believes it is inherently wrong, if it would cause them to stumble, if, especially if it might cause them to to go against their conscience and drink. Then Paul says, then, then you shouldn't do it. Then you should, uh, you should be, you have the freedom. You know that it's fine to drink alcohol. You have that liberty, but you also have the freedom to not. And so for the sake of the weaker brother, and look, this is when you're in the presence of the weaker brother, like when you're on your own, right? Do what you want to do. But when you're, um, when another, when a fellow Christian, when someone else with a weaker conscience in that regard is going to see it and be deeply disturbed by it, Paul says, you need to think twice about that and lay down that freedom for their sake because you love them. So there they are. I think those are the three guidelines that are are laws, I guess, that the Bible gives us about alcohol consumption. But I do think that uh, it's fair to say that alcohol is a good thing. So secondly, let's move on and see that alcohol, while it is a good thing, can be very tempting. Um, Yeah, the Bible recognizes, as does Proverbs, as we're going to see, that even though it's a good thing, it can be used very wrongly. Um, And there's a a great temptation that comes with it. Uh, that, That there's something actually powerful about alcohol. There's something very enticing, right? Um, and so to understand, to be wise about alcohol, we're going to have to understand what's at work there. Look at 20, 
uh, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Right? There it is. It's something that can lead us astray. There's something enticing that we need to watch out for. uh, Chapter 23, 31 and 32. It says, Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. The picture is of something that's very attractive, alluring, and yet um, in the end has the bite like a snake. And then notice what 23, 19 through 21 says. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Right? This father is talking to the son, and he's saying, this is an issue of your heart. Direct your heart. Pay attention to what your heart is doing. So what is our heart doing? Well, look, we can say this. We all know what it is that alcohol offers, right? It It offers an intoxication. It offers uh, the, the powerful ability to affect the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way, and the way that we perceive the world, the way that we perceive ourselves. Um, and that can be a very powerful temptation. So why would our hearts be prone towards that kind of a temptation? Why would we be tempted to love something like that? And I think the answer in a lot of ways is very simple. I think the answer is because we want to escape the way that we feel or the way that we think or the way that we perceive ourselves or the world around us. We want some sort of escape. And that anything that offers that that escape can be very attractive, very tempting. All right. So what does that mean for us? One of the main things I want you to take from this discussion tonight is to realize that that these sorts of things come from deep down inside of us. Um, In other words, the, the person that gets drunk doesn't get, nobody ever gets drunk for some sort of superficial reason. Nobody ever gets drunk just because it, just because it's fun. That, that when, when we abuse alcohol, or anything else for that matter, that it's something that's it's deeply spiritual. Um, it's never just because it's fun, or to have a good time, or because it was a long day. It's something deeper. And so we have to peel back the layers of our heart. And I, I hope you hear me trying to get you to do this all the time about everything. Right? Try to be self-reflective enough to, to peel back the layers of your heart and ask yourself, why? Why do I do that? And to keep asking the why question. And so at first we might say, well, it's because alcohol helps me forget the reality of my terrible financial situation. Or the fact that I got broken up with. Or the fact that uh, my grades are you know, in the tank. Or whatever it might be. But I want you to peel it back further. But, but why? And I think as we peel it back, we would say that it's because those things make me feel hopeless. And I don't know what else to do. And I just want to get out. I don't want to feel that anymore. And yeah, sometimes 
we might say, you know, it's just to have a good time. It's just to sort of let loose and have fun, take a break. But have you ever stopped to think, why do you need alcohol to do that? And again, I'm not talking about in moderation. I'm talking about uh, abusing alcohol. And look, is it just possible that it's this? Is it possible that what alcohol, one of the effects of alcohol is that it lowers our inhibitions, right? So that you feel freer to do the things that you actually have always wanted to do. And that it's only when that's done for us artificially, maybe that is it, it's only then that you actually feel like you can begin to relax. And you can actually begin to be yourself and let your guard down. And you need alcohol to help you do that. And maybe that's why it's fun. And so what that means is that the rest of the time, when you're sober... You're actually inhibiting yourself, right? Um, that, that you're always carefully managing the way the world sees you, the way your friends see you. And that gets exhausting because you're terrified that people are going to see what you're really like. And so we're, you're constantly on this program of managing how you come across. Because you're desperate, desperately afraid that, that people are going to see the real you and, and reject you. It's really a deep sense of insecurity. And look, by the way, just in case, you know, if you're getting uh, potentially self-righteous about this, thinking like, I don't struggle with this, like, it must be for those people. I, I hope you recognize, and if not, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now that everybody does this. It's just some people choose alcohol. And some people choose other things, right? So whether it's, if it's not alcohol for you, it, it's something. And for me too. Um, so yeah, I want you to see that there's never a superficial reason that somebody abuses alcohol. It's always this deep spiritual one. And that can be very tempting. All right, so thirdly and finally, I want you to see that alcohol can be destructive, Because you might be thinking, you might actually agree with what we've been saying and think, okay, so what's the problem, though? What's wrong with a little escape? Because this world can be pretty difficult. So what, why not uh, get away a little bit? Um, And it's tempting because it seems to promise, right? It It seems to offer something very attractive, but it doesn't deliver. And in the end, it's actually something that's, that's destructive, Right, like, um, you know, uh, what do they say that uh, if you're, you know, if you're shipwrecked, if you're, you know, floating in the ocean and you're you're dying of thirst, that you could drink salt water, and at first it would taste, it would probably taste really good. But what's going to happen? It's actually just going going to dehydrate you further. Right? It promises life, but it actually robs it from you. And the abuse of alcohol is this, uh, very similar. Its effects can be uh, devastating. All right, let's look at a few of them real quick. Look at 23, 29 through 30. You see that litany of questions. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Uh, Those sorts of things. Abusing alcohol is going to bring, look at that list, woe, sorrow, strife, complaining, injury, fatigue. It's not good for your body. And it's not good for your relationships. 
Now look at 23, 33 through 35. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Right? It, it promises you that you'll be able to escape reality. And it actually, in some sense, delivers on that, right? You do escape reality. And so, yes, it offers the promise. You can forget for a little while the, the reality of whatever is just bumming you out. Of how hard that relationship is, of how hard that class is, of how much your parents are driving you crazy, or whatever it is. You can escape that reality for a little bit. But un- unfortunately, you're also going to escape the reality of what it means to be able to safely cross the street. And you're also going to escape the reality of what an appropriate conversation looks like. And things that are okay to say to people and things that aren't. Right? You end up doing and saying things that are detrimental to your well-being. Um, it's, it's going to make you physically sick. That's the whole part about lying down in the midst of the sea or lying down on top of the mast. The picture is uh, laying down on, on the, you know, the top of the uh, ship, mast of the ship, right? And trying to sleep up there, right? You get the idea. You're tossed around by the waves, motion sick. Um, it's, it's not going to do well for you physically. Uh, it also tends toward addiction, you see that, uh, the end result of the picture, uh, the drunk person in that passage. Right? In the very end of all that drama, what is it that they turn to? Another drink. You can almost hear, uh, where, where'd it go? You can almost, you can almost hear the, the, like that last line being slurred, right? Uh, when, when am I going to wake up? I need, an, I need another drink. It's the picture of this cycle of Wanting to escape and getting a little taste of that escape, but it, it wreaking havoc on your life and you sort of waking up out of that and feeling miserable and wanting to escape and doing what? Going right back to the thing that puts you in that position. This terrible cycle of addiction. It's deadly. And it just tends to spiral on itself and get deeper and deeper. Lastly, I want you to look at... Um, 31, 1 through 9, uh, this King Lemuel, we don't really know who that is, but his mother warns him about alcohol. That it, uh, and basically she, she says it can and it will affect your judgment. As king, he can't afford to have his perception of, of justice and right and wrong affected. Right? There's too much riding on it. And she says you can't do that. Um, people are depending on you. Um, his mother says that the king shouldn't drink, and that's presumably while he, you know, in his kingly duties, while he's performing his duties, um, but to give strong drink to those that are uh, suffering, uh, what, what does it say, dying, and wine to those that are in bitter distress. And now look, just a quick, let's say something about that, because that can seem very contradictory, right? Like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to get drunk, and yet, it says in the Bible, give wine, strong drink to them so they can forget about it, and it seems to be the opposite of what you're saying. And I get that. But because of what the rest of the Bible says, right, we can know that, that that can't be what it means. 
Right? The main principle of interpreting Scripture is that we want to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Make sense? You, we want to understand hard-to-understand passages in light of easier-to-understand passages. And so, Scripture is clear that drunkenness is, not, is prohibited. So I think the idea is something like that she's basically saying, look, you're the king. You have to be sober. You have to be clear-headed. Look, if anybody needs a drink, right, it would be these people that are suffering and dying. But you need to be sober so you can use your authority to truly help these people. And we're going to come back to that in just a second. Because I, I, I want to end. We need to wind up. Um, Proverbs basically, it gives us wisdom along the lines of not abusing alcohol, right? It says don't love it. Don't make alcohol an ultimate thing in your life. But how do we do that? How do you fight that temptation to escape? Because that's, that's the battle. That's where the problem is. And it would have to be something that gets, that gets at our hearts and changes us there. And so what is it? And actually, it's what we say every week, right? It's the same thing. It's what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's the Bible's way of talking about a deep, loving reverence for God because of who He is and what He's done. And so what has He done? What He's done is He has come to provide in the person, in the work of Jesus, He's come to provide us the escape that we so desperately need. We do need an escape, and Jesus has come to provide that. He did it by coming into this world and, and being the hope of the hopeless. He did it. He provides that escape by saving people that are as screwed up as you and I are. During his ministry, he hung out with all kinds of messed up people. He hung out with people, he hung out with, with drunks so much that people accused him of being a drunk. But he, to be clear, he wasn't. He hung around people like that because he loved them and he loves people like us and he did it perfectly. He handled alcohol perfectly. And he loved people that didn't. He loved them perfectly. And then he went to the cross to have the ultimate effect of abusing alcohol, the wrath of God, to have that poured out on him instead of on us. And I want to end with this. And I think this is, I think this is really neat. This is pretty cool. Right before Jesus is crucified... Matthew 27, 34 tells us that the guards, these are the guards that are about to nail Jesus to this tree, right? This big cross. That they offered him a drink. They offered him wine mixed with gall. And the idea, presumably, was to take a little bit of the edge off. Because crucifixion is horrific. And it's just almost like the, the tiniest mercy, right? Give them... Give the suffering a little bit of this. It's still going to be unimaginable. But it, it says that when Jesus tasted it, he refused to drink it. 
So think about what's going on there. Think about it in light of what we just read about this King Lemuel guy. What you have is Jesus Christ, the king of everything, the ultimate king. He's about to, he's about to engage his most significant kingly duty, right? And he's offered this wine, and what does he do? He refuses it. He's the ultimately wise one. He refuses it, but he's offered it because he's doing what? He is the king, but he's also the suffering one. He's the one suffering and dying and miserable. The ones that, you know, the mom said, give drink to those people. But Jesus, as the king, refuses it. And he refuses it so that he can be perfectly clear-headed about what he's doing. Because he doesn't want anything to cloud his judgment. He doesn't want anything to, to get in the way of what he's doing, which is saving me and you. But it means that he's going to feel every bit of the pain. There's not going to be any chance. There's not going to be any hint of, they struck me, but I didn't feel it. Do you know how awesome that would have been on the cross? I was crucified, but I didn't really feel it. No chance. And he did it because he loves us. And that's our way out. That's our escape. That's the hope that we get to cling to. That he's done that for us. And the more that we see that, the more you believe that. And look, maybe, I don't presume anybody in here is a Christian. Um, if, If you're not a believer, that's what's offered to you tonight for the first time. That you can escape. That... That what you're afraid of, all the, all the embarrassment, the failure, the, the shame that you feel, that Jesus offers to take that and you can be real about yourself. Because you can escape into him and not into whatever else, not into the drink. And his, love's, his love is free. I pray that you take it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for good news. We thank you for good news that you would um, give us an escape. And that that escape uh, is, is one that's sure. Better than anything else we would find. Uh, Father, we pray that we would all lay hold of, of Jesus in faith. And we ask it in his name. Amen.